Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome again to the Michael Savage Podcast. Glad that you're with us today. Today we have part two of my Amazing conversation with the best-selling novelist, Jeff Rovin. You may know Jeff by now. In addition to having written the Tom Clancy novels, he's an all-around intelligent, great guy who knows a lot about history and life. This is a podcast that you're going to want to listen to more than once and maybe even come back to from time to time. It's a classic. There are so many topics and references and ideas that we talk about that it's worth returning to in order to really understand everything that Michael and Jeff talk about. We speak about George Soros, the left's attempts to change the meaning of words, and so much more. Look, I've been looking through Brave New World again, and I'm finding Huxley's genius again. Well, yeah, you mean you mean anesthetizing the population? It's 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 so. I carry this around for terrifying. you, Jeff. It's it's yeah. so filled with what's going on, stuff that got me crazy. Hypnopathy. Soma. Soma, 100 repetitions, three nights a week for four years, thought Bernard Marx, who was a specialist in hypnopedia. 62,400 repetitions make one truth. Idiots, he wrote. Yeah. Or the caste system, constantly proposed, constantly rejected. There was something called democracy, as though men were more than physico-chemically equal. Then the okay, Nine Years' War began in AF-141. We, let's let's get back to Huxley in a minute. Uh, I found the plan, <laughs> I, let's, I found the Planned Parenthood thing and, and talk about new speak and 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 language being being yep. twisted and contorted. What it said before was what happens during week five to six, a very basic beating heart and circulatory system develop. Now it says a part of the embryo starts to show cardiac activity. It sounds like a heartbeat on an ultrasound, but it's not a fully formed heart. It's the earliest stages of the heart developing. So they have now twisted themselves, <coughs> excuse me, into linguistic denial that it's a heart. There is no such thing as a heartbeat in six weeks. It is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body away from them. Jesus. Okay, Jeff, where does this go? You're a fiction writer and a brilliant guy. My mind cannot project anymore the arc of where this goes. When does, does it, does, does finally a brick wall, do they hit a brick wall? Or is this brick wall imaginary? There is no brick wall anymore. Six Semper Tyrannus. Tyrants do not survive. And this has been proven again and again throughout history. We are living in a socialist dictatorship now. You can call it whatever else you uh, want. 
Amen. But that's 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 what we're in. And Hold again, on. That's the title of today's conversation. We're living in a socialist dictatorship now, quote unquote, Jeff Rovin. But we are. Yeah, that yeah, is what we're living through. Right. The the question is. Which parts of that have merit? The question for for all Americans should be what what parts of that do we retain? But we cannot have that conversation because when when the social Democrat socialist Democrats or Democrat socialists don't get their way, they scream and whine and and attack and cancel. And until it's you become exhausted and you just don't. want. So it's like a, a crazy bunch of children tyrannizing their parents. Well, and I, I have friends tell me in, in, in Manhattan that they're suffering compassion fatigue because they're tired of having feces slung at them Ugh. by homeless people in the streets and, and cities. Ugh. Right. And now, of course, you can say, well, this is this is Governor Abbott's doing. Keep sending us these. Well, again, you wanted to be a sanctuary city. You got it. This is oh, what they were doing did. that before Abbott sent. The, the this influx to New York. Yes, absolutely true. Absolutely. And look at the crime, the, the numbers of, of attacks. I was going to bring that up the, in the minority crime wave, because that's what it is. It's ever since George Floyd, there was license given to African-Americans va- virtually to do whatever the hell they wanted. I know I'm not supposed to say it, but somehow I'm saying it. My tongue is moving. My brain is saying caution. I'm telling you, this is insanity. The well, rapes, the-, the murders, the beating, the axes, the picks. The, the punchings, the pushings, the beating up Jews, the beating up Asians. Who's doing it? Well, today, today in uh, at the fringes of Hell's Kitchen, uh, or maybe it was yesterday, somebody was eating out at eating at a table outside and uh, uh-huh. and somebody came up and hit them with a chair and took their cell phone. And for the first time in probably years, I saw the individual described as dark complexion. Yeah, dark complexion. Right. OK, but yeah. at least. At least there was a mention of it. No, I see dark complexion mentioned all the time. No, do you? Oh, (laughs) you're in San Francisco. No, that no, I see it in the national news. That's like saying there's a there's a faint proto heartbeat. (laughs) The same use of words. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Okay, but look, there is a racial element to this crime wave. It's generally African American males beating up other races. Well, if it were white people, they would they would most likely be arrested and condemned. There's again, don't forget. Now, this is where we get into that that gray area of which parts do we need to understand? Has has have different groups been repressed, suppressed, not given a fair shake, et cetera, et cetera? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. But does that make them immune to the legal system, whoever these people are? Because I tell people, well, good Lord, the Jews have gotten a lot of that crap over the years. I hate to bring it up. I was born into a poor immigrant Jewish family. No one gave me anything. I knew if I wanted anything in this world, I had to fight like hell every day of my life to create it. And I had to go to school and keep going to school and had to write books. I had to do radio shows when I didn't want to some days. I had well, to and we it. had to we had to change our name in order that my father could be hired because anti-Semitism was well, what was, was your name in Ukrainian? Uh, it, well, it was Rovinsky. Rovinsky, of course. Right. You know, and, I looked up the origin of, of uh, my family name of W.E.I.N.E.R. Weiner. 
Right. And in, in the uh, German communities, it was V-A-Y-N-E-R, Weiner, Weiner, phonetic. And what it meant was Vintner. So that's the right, reason I drink so much. <laughs> no, I'm, apparently there's been a long history of, of making wine in the family, which explains okay. my love for half a bottle of wine every night. But it okay. means Weiner. And you yeah. talk about ridicule. You got morons like uh, in the in the in this on social media continue to ridicule my name like it, you know, like I heard in grade school here. I'm an 80 year old man and I still see on social media. We know, we know, we know. Can you imagine people still do that? It was, you know, it's unbelievable to me that this is permitted on social media, this stupidity. Well, and I because, think social media has to be absolutely um, controlled to save the world. Uh, well, controlled or or. Either it has to be unfettered completely or there have to be rules. You know, we live in a society and, and I guess this gets to the larger question of civilization requires rituals and rules to survive. And people today, and I, it's a small number of people, don't want those rules, the kind furnished by, say, the Ten Commandments oh or the Constitution. Yet they are desperately required desperately and uh when when those get rejected we see civilizations fall apart and we're we're risking that now we have to reinstitute not just rituals and rules but the laws of the land oh, so when do we get rid of alvin bragg and the other da's put in power by the psychopath uh, who I don't understand why he does it, let alone how he gets away with it. George Soros. Well, first of all, the conservative Republican governors have to be elected. And I hope that we see some of that in this. Um, can they fire? Uh, can they fire DAs in cities? Yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly in New York, they can. She can fire Bragg, but won't. But won't. Right. Exactly. Is that because she so, wants the African-American? Well, she, could set, she could set in motion the process by which he would be removed from office. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I am basically there to, uh, to make money. I cannot and do not look at the social consequences of, of what I do. I got to go back to my favorite topic. Why does George Soros, a Jewish Holocaust survivor, given uh, uh, asylum here in America after World War II, why does he hate the country? What is he doing? I, I have absolutely no answer to that question. And I think you have to go back to look at why do any of us do what, what we do? What in our childhood? What in our youth? Look, I grew up with Holocaust survivors in, in my household. And who? Your parents? I, uh, aunts and uncles. Wow. Um, and uh, they had their, their, their wrists were tattooed. Oh, and you grew up I with know, the real hardcore. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My my aunt, who had lost her husband, um, had to marry his brother so that they could reproduce, produce more Jews, um, repopulate. But but I saw there was no there was no redeeming them from the bitterness and anger. And I'm not how saying could you, how could you ever be redeemed from that? Exactly. I'm not saying that, Jeff, I got to tell you could or should. No, no. Listen, I had a friend whose dad was in Auschwitz. Henry may rest in peace. I wrote about him in, in um, some in God, faith and reason. I think Henry was missing three fingers. I think I told you about it. 
the Nazis took his hand. He was working in the wood shop and ran his hand through the, the buzz saw, cut his fingers off. Well, he came out of the war, survived Auschwitz. I liked him because I was outside the family, you know, a friend. He beat his wife. He beat his children. He was a vicious, hateful, angry man. So sure. I was told I never saw that. I was the outside guy. You know how it is. Yeah, absolutely. He, I, how I could know. you how could you not come out of that and be crazy? How could you? Well, not and it's not only that. Let's not forget that a lot of Jews who were liberated, my, my family included, were then sent to Cyprus to a British internment camp where they stayed for a year because they weren't allowed to go to Palestine, oh, geez. which was the only place that would have them, um, at least in theory. So it wasn't until Israeli statehood, which was two years later, that they were allowed to go to Israel and finally uh, have a child. Uh, so, again, we don't know what the what impact wasn't good any of this had on our forebears on george soros on jo i don't know but why would he know. hate a country that gives him such freedom and he has a son who's as crazy as he is you're the doctor dr savage no. you figure it out i i, I don't know i don't I know and i can't you. understand how a jew who survived the holocaust can come here and do this to this country and fund all of these uh anti-justice uh pro-crime district attorneys across america what are they trying to do? Why do they want to bring it all down, man? What do they think is going to happen? I, I have one theory, one only. Go ahead. They're so corrupt that by feeding these brats, these left wing brats, like you mentioned before, the Red Guard, if you want to call them that, the sure. crazy children who don't shut their mouths unless they get what they want. By feeding them what they want, they keep them off their own trail of corruption. Uh, you know, I don't know. That's Pelosi. That's Soros. That's all the other billionaires out there. Throw you know, you, them you, what they want on the on the culture wars and get away with financial misdeeds if that is what they are doing. You know, there's we can and there, there have been studies of figures in history, Napoleon, because he was short history, uh, uh, Hitler, because nobody liked his paintings or he hung the wallpaper crooked. Did he really oh, have one one no. one testicle? I again, I don't know if that was if that was true. You know, Goebbels. I don't mean you were there. Foot. I'm just saying I, I know. No, 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 I know. I know. You I know. weren't his proctologist. I'm not saying that. But no, no, but it was it was in the song. There was there was a song that my father used to sing from, from World War Two. You know, Hitler, Hitler had only one big ball. I remember uh, it was a rumor. Yeah, right. But but that was the first the first line of the song. So how much of it is just is is truth or not? Did I, you I ever hear the know. song Zod and Nikolai and the rest of it's a vulgar Russian statement? You know <laughs> yes. it? Yeah. I, I was I, I used to grow up in the, I grew up in the Catskill Mountains. And they used to dance yeah. and sing in circles. These peasants. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't know what it was. Zod and Nikolai up and the rest, you know, my grandmother used to tell me about <laughs> that uh, from um, from uh, Poland when uh, she said when we weren't being raped by uh, by oh. Mongols, we were being raped by Cossacks. Oh, uh, so you want to hear a funny rape joke that Jewish people told? No, but it was ahead. a horrible joke. I have to tell it. You just triggered me. So I think as actually I think a funny rabbi told this to me 25 years ago, he said, so the Cossacks come in and they they rape the mother. And they rape the daughter in the little shtetl. And as they're leaving, the grandmother comes out and she says, no, 
A pogrom is a pogrom. <laughs> that was a terrible yeah. Jewish joke. No, I know. But you know what? It was if you look back through all of our, our Jewish history, um, humor has been uh, a salvation. Do you know that if the children were born of rape, they were raised, they were not aborted in in the Jewish culture in those. Let's say a Cossack raped a Jewish girl. Yeah, that child was raised as a Jew. Absolutely. They did not abort that baby. No. And explains an awful lot of the the, uh, blonde, blue eyed babies that came out of these these villages. Well, and and, and a a whole strain of my family looks looks um, Asian uh, (laughs) because of the Mongols. Yeah. Well, it's the Mongols. It's come on. Give me my (laughs) Ryan. Bring in my little pony. Yeah. It's. and I, now, now I'll hear it because, well, you said um, you said he looks Asian. What does that mean? That's stereotypical. Well, yeah. OK, well, um, look at my eyes. Epicanthic yeah. folds. I mean, I've studied the physiognomy of faces for years. Yeah. I yeah. often wondered, hello, who who came along and when? Yeah. And yeah. I've always yeah. I've always liked gypsies. I've always liked uh, Mongolian beef in a Chinese restaurant. Who knows, Jeff? We never well, look at look at me with with martial arts. I mean, I was always drawn to Chinese martial arts. There you it's go. A lifelong a lifelong passion. And yeah, like, yeah, right. So what is this thing with you with martial arts, with Asians? What's with me in the sea? No one in my family was in the Navy. What is this drawn me to the sea with boats my whole adult life? Well, yeah. Exactly. We have we have a genetic uh, uh, disposition to certain things. I mean, I'm not you know, I, I, I do believe in um, in uh, nurture having a lot to do with who we are, of course. But when I was with the Chinese in Chinatown in Columbus Park studying Tai Chi and Kung Fu with them, I don't think I've ever felt more at home. Wow. Naturally comfortable. How many years have you studied martial arts? I started when I was five. Uh, but that was Japanese style martial arts, karate and jujitsu. Is that and then, when the when the gangster taught you martial arts? Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool. Yes, Can he's still alive. Him? Didn't you say in our last conversation he's still living? Uh, no, he he died. I think in 1996. How um, old was he? But uh, not. He was in his in his mid to late 60s. Why? Um, Why was a tough guy like that? I, I believe he had cancer. Uh, look, we you you could be. Uh, incredibly healthy as an athlete but if you were eating the wrong things now that you know <sighs> dr savage if you're eating the wrong things oh don't i had my first half a ham um, pound of meat this week after after the years ago the the heart attack event i've been off and, meat and off you meat. felt terrible right no i loved it i made a meat <laughs> sauce I, I did a cooking video on it bucatini wait fine meat sauce and bucatini it's uh, my video Oh, man, was it good? I cook it to dryness. Everyone says, oh, you cooked all the sauce out of it. I said, study what cooking to dryness means. It's an Asian art form, by the way, of cooking, cooking the dryness. Anyway, no, I love the meat. I slept okay. well. I, I slept well. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Jeff, I had a nightmare last night. You have to hear the nightmare. Do you interpret your own dreams the next day? Well, before you tell me, let me answer that by saying, if you've ever read Jung's book, uh, Man and His Symbols, where he talks at length about the interpretation of dreams and where he broke with Freud, he didn't believe that dreams need deep interpretation. said, with Freud, you just keep going until you find something that makes sense. You can get the same place from word association. So what Jung said was, nature does not speak in riddles. A dream means what a dream says. 
So I had a dream that a friend of mine who's a combat veteran, highly decorated from Vietnam, an older guy in his 70s, I haven't seen for a long while, was literally on fire. He turned orange and smoke was coming out of him. And I was trying to reach my mother, who's been dead for years, crying out for her in my sleep. I had I woke up like, what the hell is this? So I texted my friend. I said, I hope you're okay. I had this nightmare that orange smoke was coming out of you. And he says to me, no, no, I'm fine. He said, but I'm very depressed. I'm, I'm going through some depression now because all of my army buddies are dying off, you know? Yeah. And maybe Agent Orange was part of the part yeah, of your dream. Well, he was he was he was he was gassed. OK, so oh, but here's that. the lar- here's the larger uh, takeaway from your dream to me. What it really is, is you needed a trigger to get in touch with the soul of your mother. What's her birthday coming up for Sunday? Well, there you go. And Rosh Hashanah is coming up Sunday night, which is the beginning of the Jewish New Year, known as the head of the year. For those non-people who are not Jewish listening to this podcast, you're a secular person. Do you carry any of the religious beliefs to this day? Well, when you say secular, um, I, I am I am extremely devout in terms of faith, and faith is neither arbitrary or conditional. Uh, Rabbi Mendel Schneerson, the, the former head of the Lubavitchers, wrote a wonderful or ha- had some wonderful things to say about faith and about the need for it. And one of the things he said was that the body allows you to see the expression of God throughout the universe. In other words, your five senses. Faith brings you into communion with the universe and allows you to get closer to the essence of God. So the expression through the body, the essence through faith. All right. Faith is not an unreasoning condition. What it is, is it leaves you open to possibilities in the spiritual realm. Schneerson's contention, and indeed uh, uh, that of other great, uh, great thinkers, great philosophers, is that once you open yourself up, you're going to find God waiting there. You can define God as God or as the universe, whatever ultimate force, ultimate energy, ultimate power you, you choose to um, to use. The fact is, you'll never understand God. Only God can understand God. Um, but you can get closer. Imagine you could open your eyes to see only the good in every person, the positive in every circumstance, and the opportunity in every challenge. Yeah. I keep this in my house. I walk past it several times a day. Sometimes I'm down and depressed or in my own little world, you know, walking around in my closed-minded funk, uh, feeling sorry for myself or whatever it is that we all do sometimes when we get into introspective. And I see that. Or I'm about to talk to someone on the phone I don't really want to talk to. And I say, imagine you could open your eyes and see only the good in every person. And I start to try to see the other side of the moon in that person. Right there. Right there. You've hit it, Michael. The the what happens and and Schneerson talks about this a lot, as does Thomas Merton, the the Trappist uh, theologian who, who wrote some magnificent books from a from a catholic point of view i i'm i'm jumping between merton and schneerson and finding my god these people are saying the same thing 
But what Schneerson, the point Schneerson made is that when you embrace faith, when you allow that into your flesh, so to speak, that opens you to the third participant, which is God. And so once God enters the, the picture, what you have on that billboard comes into effect. You start to back your own ego away from the situation and listen. And this is what's not happening in our country right now. Which is what? People are not listening. They're not listening. So I look at that, those words. At first, I scoffed when they sent me the poster saying, don't send me this propaganda. I, I'm not a cultist. And then I started looking at the words, and they're so powerful. So last yeah. night, I go to a little Japanese hole in the wall that I go to for 25 years to grab a quick meal. And the guy owns it as a little skinny. I mean, old. I mean, he looks like from World War II, Bataan Death March style guy. I love him, John. Skinny as a rail, works 24 hours a day, you know, doesn't stop. Uh, and he and I sometimes talk. So a couple of weeks ago, he twisted his leg and something hit, hit his foot. And he was in pain. He never complains about anything. He put three good daughters through medical school, the hardest working guy I ever met. So I told him to get Arnica. So I asked him last night, by the way, whatever happened with, did you get the Arnica? He says, no, no, I'm not, no Arnica. He said, I went home. I prayed to Buddha. And he, then he made a prayer last night in some Japanese, in Japanese of what he does, the Buddhist prayer or chant for Buddha to give him the power or to heal him. He said, next day, all gone. And I said, wait a minute. I said, Jeff's going to love this story. I said, that is martial (laughs) arts right then and there. Is that not a martial art thing? Well, it's if you look at martial arts and Buddhism and the yogic tradition as holistic, I would go to a there was a Buddhist temple on Canal Street. And uh, stop me if I've said this before. (laughs) Uh, um, And I would sit near the statue of the Buddha. And people would come in with problems or offerings. It was one of the most sacred spots you can imagine in terms of energy. There would be a depression, and then there would be an uplifting. And it came in waves, depending on who came Mm. in with what. And I just sat there wallowing in the joy of that journey. Mm. And if if we allow every part of our lives to open up, to the positive, to what the Taoists would call the yin and the yang of the universe, there is, there is nothing that we can't solve. And certainly, to, to circle back to Ukraine, there is no reason that we had to become aggressive, not we, but as a species I'm talking about. Um, you know, the, the Chinese talk about the dantian, the, the cauldron that is, is in our body, the 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 compression of aggression and sexuality that does not get to express itself in any way other than combustibility, Mm. right? You have to, through Tai Chi and through Buddhist practices, for example, find ways to take that energy, put it in your heart, put it in your voice, put it in your third eye, open up these other energy Mm. centers. We don't do that. Instead, we launch it Outwards. So instead of feeling, instead of compassion, instead of we have orgasms and, we and have orgasm. empathy, we have we have either orgasms or violence or violence. You know, yeah. A lot so of this is repressed this is sexuality. Something. The street thugs. 
Well, and, and, and the thing is, it's not it's not repressed. It's just coming out in an obscene form because, you know, in and of itself, if you if you start looking into tantric practices, there's nothing there's nothing inherently wrong with sexuality, obviously. And, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll break a little with the Roman Catholics there, but um, uh, we 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 do none of this. And what happens and what I don't like to see on among conservatives is we get pushed farther and farther from the center because the people on the other side are becoming so belligerent about we have to accept this and we have to accept that. Okay, but what about if you accept? No, 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 it can't be that way. It must be our way. This is where you get pushback. But this is where people like you and me and your listeners have to be more rational, more compassionate than the the opposition. Are you saying turn time. the other cheek? I I am alarmed at how often the teachings of Jesus show themselves in both Buddhism and Taoism and uh, Hinduism. And I, and I say alarmed because it's become a cliche to say, turn the other cheek. Well, no, I'm going to get my sword and cut them to pieces. No, no, no. There's actually some sense in, in turning the other cheek. Some sense in, in turning yeah, the other cheek. It's not so much turning the other yeah. cheek as let their energy go by you. Well, but that's it. So that's where you get energy go by you. That's where you get into Kung Fu. The whole basis of Kung Fu and Tai Chi is to redirect that energy to go past you under the under the idea that nature doesn't struggle. Why should mm. you? Water goes around, wind wow. goes around, and eventually gets where it has wow. to go. If you meet something with force, you're going to take that concussion, and you can only take so right. much concussion. And if they hit you hard enough, your own fist is going to go back in your face. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. What happened to Muhammad Ali and his brain from all of the bangs in the head? Sure. Sure. We don't great, we don't want great, no. great fighter, but all all the blows to the head. So how do and, and, and to, to just take that a step further? How do you redirect somebody's anger toward you? Ask them to explain. Ask them to to illuminate what they're saying. And at some point they run out of gas because if the argument has no foundation, it falls apart. And most of these arguments are bumper sticker deep, right? Uh, you know, our body, our choice. Okay. Well, does that apply to vaccinations? Well, no. And you're being obstinate. No, no. I'm asking you a question. Does it apply to this does apply to them. In other words, their their desire for freedom should apply to your desire for freedom. Yeah, and but they but have to come to that. No, they have to come to that realization through a, a natural course of evolution. Because but if Jeff, you try they to won't, it. they close us down. They shut down publishing divisions. They keep us off television shows. They're not going to come around to our side without a direct confrontation. But that, that's a topic that I think we can talk about another day. Okay, because but, I believe but here's let me just say this, and I'm not saying that we are Jesus. What I'm saying is, though, the Romans tried to shut that down until there were just a handful of people who were left to evangelize. It didn't. You mean when they try to close off Christianity, Christianity, you know, what what more can you do than 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 crucify people and feed them <laughs> to lions and set them on fire? OK, and yet within what, 350 or so years, it was the it was the official religion of Rome. 
Think about that. That's not a long. So, time. Well, wait. So the official religion of America is now socialism. Uh, but no, no, it's not. It because really they have not stopped because they're terrorists and they're terrorizing all of us. No. And frankly, I disagree with you. I don't think they can be fought through pacifism. I think they need to be fought head on personally. Well, but look at again, look at Gandhi and the British. Look at there are so many uh, and, and Martin right. Luther King. There are so many. I'm not going to fight the world. I, I, I can't do it. No, and I'm I, not advocating that. What you do is you let it go by you and keep your eye on the prize. And the prize in this case is discussion and debate where you marshal your 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 facts, your authorities, and you present it in a rational, calm way. And Stacey Abrams says that a, a, a fetus has no heartbeat. There is no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. It is a manufactured sample designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body away from What makes her right and what makes her think we have to listen to her? I want to hear, well, I want to hear that, and I want to look at the Planned Parenthood site and say, okay, well, they're just playing with words now. It's like, it's sort of like with woman and recession, they're redefining what heart means at this point you know is it just a, well they've redefined what man and woman well, that's are, what i just said so why stop at what a heartbeat well, is no and eventually jeff they're going to stop at what death is and say we didn't kill that baby well, there was no baby and by the, that's what they've said now we didn't kill that conservative by running over that conservative we didn't run that conservative over well that's why you have an interesting distinction in 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 uh, Hebrew and in the Ten Commandments about what is what is murder and what is killing. Right. Thou shalt not murder, not thou shalt not kill. Right. So the question is, how much do we ascribe to the death of what of what uh, the I Ching calls the gross body? And how much do we do we say, well, but the spirit lives on, the soul lives on? Uh, John Polkinghorne, the great uh, Cambridge uh, particle physicist, who gave it all up and became an Anglican priest, uh, talked about higher material, that we move, the soul moves to higher material. And he based that on the chaos that he saw when he got into quantum particles and saw that they didn't obey any laws of science that mm. he understood. That's why he gave mm. it up and became a priest. He said, I'm going to come at creation a different way. Why? Because he couldn't understand Because it. there was no understanding. It didn't make sense to any of the laws that he understood. Things He should have gone into chemistry. Well, particles would travel through time. They would be in two places at once. He said, this makes no sense. I'm going to become a priest and I'm going to understand, try to get closer to God's view of things. And, you know, so he said that there is probably a higher material when when Jesus talks about returning to the body. It may not be this body, perhaps Jesus or God or whoever the, the, the gospel writers understood that there's a higher material. Aristotle understood a lot of this stuff. We don't know. So redefining death. I don't know. I, I think it, it's a discussion that we should have uh, parsing. What is death of the body? What is death of the soul? Well, I don't want to die. I fight not to die every day. And, and I would tell you this, Jeff. I'm 80 years old. I don't want to die. I fight for life every day. And there are days I feel it close. Jeff, I have felt death approach in the last couple of months really come to me. And I've, I've jumped up screaming, go away. Go away. I don't want to die. I want to live. And I believe that the will to live. I don't even know where it comes from, Jeff. I wonder how many people who die 
die because they don't want to live anymore. Well, you do get tired. Some, you do get tired. You know that. Um, but I do. So I watch a, a movie. <laughs> I don't mean tired for the day. I'm joking. No, no. Some people get tired of the struggle. They get tired of living. They get tired of the struggle. They don't want to go on. And they say enough is enough. It explains why a lot of people kick off young. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But, you know, so go play chess with death. And uh, uh, no, I don't want to play with death at all. I want to dance with death and I want death to choose another partner. Eventually, we, look, eventually, we, we know how this chapter ends. But notice that. I No, I don't No, no Talk. Speak for yourself, not for me. I, but I didn't say this is how the story ends. Just the chapter. Ah. OK, because we don't know. And of course, we want to survive. That's uh, it's it's in the nature of the flesh to want to survive. You're too young, Jeff. You're just a youngster. That's why you're speaking. Uh, no, no. I'm, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm not far behind you. Uh, but, you know, uh, <laughs> but you 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 still have this youthful spirit in you. And I'm sure you haven't said it's enough. Have you? I haven't. What enough? It's enough. Oh, um, I haven't said it's enough. No, but I have changed my priorities in terms of, you know, n not having to do a novel every year or every six months or every, you know, sometimes in six days uh, as, as it has happened over the years. But you know, I've gone back to to um, to playing the piano, which I hadn't done for years. Finally, got a, a grand piano. And hmm. when you scrape around inside the heads of of a, a Chopin or a Beethoven, and you realize how rich that artistry was, you are reinvigorated. And what we don't do enough is get re reignite our sense of wonder and our sense of excitement about things and. Think of this too: the vibrations of the of the instrument itself. Mm. You know, it's, you talk about the music of the spheres. This too connects you to God. It, oh, absolutely! It, if I listen to, I used to go to the Palladium Ballroom and stand next to the conga drum. Yeah. For example, on a more primitive basis, but you get swept up with the band. You're feeling it run through your body. You're feeling it run through your whole body. Yeah. And there was actually that, that was very well done in the movie, um, The Sound of Metal, where the, the heavy metal drummer was going deaf. And and uh, wow. what was among went among uh, deaf uh, students and they would feel the vibrations and the, the the joy of that uh, was was palpable. The vibrations, whether it's a Tibetan singing bowl or a, or a grand piano. Uh, cannot be minimized, and we don't allow ourselves to have enough of that. When this crappy, mundane world suddenly becomes radiant and magnificent, all the fear is gone. That place will never abandon. I think we're going to pause here and go back to where we began. Jeff and I worked on this wonderful series together. We began with Abuse of Power. It's probably no longer in print. Um, the Jack Hatfield series. And then we had three good books in a row. They were all bestsellers, remember? Yes. And we couldn't do this today. The publisher's gone. <laughs> the desire for a book like this is gone. But this is where we began. If we were to pick up the Jack Hatfield series this year, God willing, say, OK, Jeff, let's do it. I don't care if I find the publisher um, 
I'll pay for the publication. We'll put it on Kindle, but I'll fund the I'll fund the book. What would Jack Hatfield do next? He stopped terrorist attacks from us Islamists. What would he do next? Jack Hatfield was a thinly disguised Michael Savage. Right down, <laughs> right down to the Eddie slash Teddy dog that he had. Oh, and, Teddy on my book. And living, and living in San Francisco. So the question I put to you. And the boat, the boat he lived right, on. Exactly. So the question I put to you is, what would Michael Savage do? Oh. You know, because I'm still, you know, I, I, I just finished the what, what I may end up, what may end up being the last of the, of the Tom Clancy op centers, at least for me anyway. And. You know, the, the politics of it has shifted. The, the threat has shifted. What that threat yep. looks like, what the yes, uh, what the deep state looks like. So, yes, what does you know, you were when we started that series, you were still smarting from being banned from entering England. And uh, yes. And right. so that ended up being a part of the character. What does Michael Savage do if you suddenly tap mm -hmm. on the shoulder by the CIA and say, Pick your pick your arena. We're going to send you there to do something. What is it? Are you going to are you going to infiltrate? I don't know, a network, a film studio, the government, the military, a foreign power. Uh, where did Antarctica, NASA? How do you start here? I, I make it simple. How does the character Jack Hatfield, Michael Savage, Jeff Rovin, the, the construct that we create, how does he fight the emerging Red Guard? Who is the Red Guard? Who is the head of the Red Guard? Where do they meet? You don't want to. Who's funding? You them? don't want to do a kind of um, hunt for the bad guy. You know that's that's very James Bond, and uh, that I, I don't mean that as a pejorative, but that's very nineteen. No, I understand. So the next battle is the enemy within. I get it. it well, the internal enemy. The next, the next battlefield, and we we touched on this before, is outer space, and um, you know. While, while we're busy growing spinach on the uh, ISS, uh, China has a military space station that's been completed, and they're they're doing martial arts on board in zero Where? gravity. They are. They are. You can look it up. There's uh, one of the one of. The <laughs> but wait a minute. Well, we're, we're doing martial arts here. We're banning mom and dad, boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> Isn't that the equivalent of China doing martial arts in the International Space Station? Well, I think, you know, it, Science fiction has always had humankind uniting to fight, let's say, aliens or, or dinosaurs or whatever. We OK, have. we're, we're going to have to. This is this is our next meeting. Okay. The next Jeff Rovin, Michael Savage meeting is going to be who does who does Jack Hatfield slash Jeff Rovin slash Michael Savage? Who does he face off against in the next of the series of abuse of power? What was the other? There were three titles in it. Uh, Countdown to Mecca was one of the was the last one. Abuse of power. Countdown to Mecca. And then there was a third one, a time for war, which is actually a, a time for war. war was the second one. Listen, here's what we do next time is let us have it's sort of like when uh, when Harlan Ellison or, or other writers would sit and, and type in the, uh, the window of a, of a bookstore. Let us for our next podcast actually plot and name the next Jack Hatfield adventure. And we'll do it. And we'll do it. Okay. We got to think about that one. So Jeff, thank you for spending such time, such time with me. It's always very invigorating for me to speak with a remarkable mind such as yours. And it's not just talk. 
I mean it. It's a very special time for me. I know we're on the brink of a, of a new Jewish year, which means something to you and to me. I forget the year it is. I have the old calendar here, 57. How many years have our ancestors been counting time? And let's say, uh, Shana Tova, may you be written into the book of life for the coming year. This is likewise to you and to, uh, to all of our listeners, regardless, all of, regardless all of, listeners. of their faith or beliefs. It's, it's something that we, we have to believe in. The ornithology of the savage nation. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Michael. Look forward to our next uh, meeting. And thank Ryan, too. Ryan, he's saying thank you, and we're saying bye-bye. Okay, take care. Bye. Thank you. Have a wonderful uh, weekend. Thank and you, Michael. Shana Tovah. Right. Bye. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. Jeff and I spoke about my Jack Hatfield series of novels, speculating on what Jack would do next in today's society. Listen now to me talking about my first installment of the series of novels, three best-selling novels. The first was called Abuse of Power, right now on the Michael Savage Podcast. I want to read from Abuse of Power right now, the prologue, so you understand uh, what this book is about. It's about terrorism. It's about a group of radical Muslims who uh, want to destroy a major league situation here in America. I don't mince words. Here it opens, prologue. If the others knew what Abdul al-Fayda was up to, they would kill him. Not fast, not pleasantly, and not just to make him suffer. These people killed the way others tweeted, to let people know they weren't happy, to discourage dissent. To them, he was simply a foot soldier, an expendable observer sent out to study the enemy, report, and await further instructions. Any deviation from that would be met with swift and brutal punishment. But after three long weeks sitting in a cramped office cubicle, doing routine computer repairs, Abdal was tired of waiting, tired of hoping the phone would ring. His beard was growing longer as the others busied themselves with endless debates and hand-wringing and second-guessing. It's all in the hands of Allah anyway, he thought. Why not be bold and trust in him? He didn't want to believe it was a lack of nerve. That would be too discouraging. To have committed his life and energy to a cause, only to find out he was alone. I refuse to believe that, but the thought was equally stubborn. His mother once told him that he came into this world a squawking bird, violently flapping his spindly little wings as if his, as if his cage were too small to contain him. Maybe, maybe that was Allah sending a message as well, for he was no different now. Abdal's faith in Allah's plan was absolute, and that was uh, what gave him the courage to undertake what he was doing now. After that, proactivity became its own motor. Actions drove other actions, and soon there was no changing course, no desire to reverse direction. What would he tell them later? That contacting someone he knew here in America, someone who was well-connected with the black market and was far under the radar, he had used his own money to procure the things he needed. Building the device, as he'd been trained to do, had been simple. He was afraid he'd forget steps, have to improvise, but once he was focused, everything came back to him. It was all he could do to keep his fingers from trembling with excitement as he dismantled the disposable cell phone he'd bought at a nearby Walgreens. <clears throat> he laid out the components, rewired connections, recalled with an almost rhapsodic joy the tart smell of the solder as he worked. And as he sat in his small apartment, he thought of Sarah. He wondered if he should call her. While he had no intention of taking his own life, unlike so many of his na naive brethren, he was in no hurry to get to paradise. He was aware that he might not survive the week. 
The only thing certain in war was that nothing was certain. He smiled as he thought of the girl he had managed to grow so fond of. Not that he'd fought it. Every soldier needs a distraction, and they didn't come prettier than this one. But then something happened. It wasn't even part of his cover, an effort to blend in. It was genuine, surprisingly, unexpectedly real. So real that he had broken other rules, had told her who he was and what he was about. She already knew what had happened to his family before he relocated from Karachi, and she understood the rage he carried with him every single moment of his life. Maybe that was one of the things he found so attractive. Sarah shared much of that rage herself. In the end, he decided it was best not to call her, not until the deed was done, not until she couldn't do the one thing no one else on earth could possibly have done, talk him out of giving San Francisco its very own ground zero. That's the prologue to abuse of power. Ladies and gentlemen, come along for the ride. I'll now take your calls on the program. Susan in New York, go ahead, please. Michael? Yes. Hi. I hope you can hear me. Yes. Michael, I'm all excited to speak to you. We were talking about your novel at work today, and everybody could not believe that you're writing a novel, and I told them you are, and to go out and buy it. And again, I can't... Well, I, I wrote it already. It's on Amazon, and what I'm doing is asking people to go and read it and tell me what they think of it, because unless we change stories and movies, we're not going to change America's heart and soul. We've got to get to them through drama. In plain English, Susan, we can't just do it through websites and through radio shows and talk shows. We've got to reach the young people, even the older liberals who don't even understand the danger they're in. We're only going to reach them through fiction. A lot of young people at work that were having lunch today that know about the novel now. Really? Well, let me send you a free copy, Susan. Please share it with your co-workers, and thank you very, very much. Let's go to the callers on the Savage Nation. Let's go to Arizona. Chance, you're on the program. Go ahead, please. Chance? Hi. Hi, Michael. This is uh, Chance. Um, I was just calling to tell you I heard about you about a month ago, and I cannot get enough of you. I listen to you every day at 3. Well, good. Well, I don't blame you. I mean, Arizona is under siege from Mexico, and the government is aiding and abetting those who are invading Arizona rather than the people from Arizona who need help from the government to stop the invasion. Exactly. I I mean, plain English. You want me to repeat that in case uh, Axelrod and Obama missed it? The government is aiding and abetting the barbarians who are breaking into Arizona as opposed to the tax-paying citizens who need the help of a legitimate government to prevent the barbarians from breaking down the gates. Let me spell it out any other way for you. I'll be glad to do it. You win a free copy of Abuse of Power. Stay on the line. Let's go back to Wisconsin. Let's go to Wisconsin, not back to. I mean, it is ground zero in some ways. Remember, the war to take America back from the Union thugs began in Wisconsin. And now the union thugs are trying to take America away from the middle class. Wisconsin, Dave, welcome to the program. Go ahead, please. I get guys like uh, Hoffa Jr. giving his uh, your money or your life speech, and they like to exploit the difference between uh, labor and management. If the laborers knew the difference between uh, the management of the uh, unions, the laborers would be joining the Tea Party because the Tea Party is the uh, the actual benefit of the laborers. It's in their interest. Well, I agree with you, and I think many members of the unions know that their unions are corrupt, and they know that the Tea Party are their neighbors, and they know that they're being taxed to death, and they understand all of this. And frankly, I think that the rhetoric coming out of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, and from uh, uh, Hoffa will eventually coalesce people inside the Tea Parties to stand firm on the lines against them. I don't think anyone's going to run away from the fight, personally. Do you? 
No, I don't. Actually, no, no. But, uh, but here's the problem, and I'm sending you a free copy of Abuse of Power. I want to repeat it if you missed it. They are signaling very carefully and very clearly that they're going to send Ajahn provocateurs into the Tea Parties if they have not already done so. This is a standard tactic uh, that has been used, frankly, on both sides of the aisle over the years, but more especially by the communists. They will send people into your Tea Party, your local Tea Party, who will pretend that they're your best friend and your neighbor, and they will say racist things in public. They will also provoke violence in public when the cameras are rolling. I'm advising every Tea Party in this country to carefully screen your members, especially your new members. You know, there's a, a bombing. The book starts with a carjacking, and in the carjacking, the uh, uh, black kid sees the whole thing go down, and he says he sees an Arab in the car. Then they find C4 explosives in the car, and of course, they then try to blame the entire carjacking, the FBI, on white supremacists in Northern California. Uh, in a cover-up campaign. That's how it starts. So let me read you from page 59 of the press conference right after the carjacking by the FBI. Jack had always thought that press conferences were about 70% public relations and 30% verifiable truth. But when all was said and done, this one didn't even meet that narrow threshold. Not that anyone noticed. Most of them were there to fill airtime, column space, or blog pages. That wasn't anything new. Jack had noticed mainstream media reporters becoming oddly incurious over the years. No one dug for information anymore. They simply regurgitated press releases or drummed up controversy in the hope of pleasing their employers who were busy trying to woo back the viewers or readers they'd lost to the Internet and talk radio. Real news was a rare commodity these days, and rarer still were real journalists. The image of the investigative reporter who let nothing stand between him and his pursuit of the truth was seen mostly in movies and episodic television shows. The lobby of the federal courthouse was jammed with people who claimed to be real journalists. But Jack can only count on one hand the number of them who truly fit that definition. He considered himself among their number, but was sure there were plenty of his colleagues who would disagree. The conference began in the usual manner, a mix of uniforms and suits, feds, cops, and politicians flanking a single podium crowded with microphones. The chief of police stepped up. After a moment, the police chief said, Before we get into the reason we're here, I'd like to renew my condolences to the family of our officer Tom Drabinsky, blah, blah, blah. A good start, Jack thought. The networks had all jumped at his tribute to Drabinsky, although most of them had edited the footage to fit their time slots, which wasn't uncommon. As expected, the name Jack Hatfield was never mentioned. And then they go on, and there's the memorial, cameras are flashing, and then comes Field Director Carl Forsyth, head of the FBI task force assigned to investigating this incident in conjunction with the Department of Homeland Security and the SFPD. Cameras flashed as one of the suits stepped forward. He had the crisp but slightly bland demeanor of a typical FBI agent. Jack immediately recognized him as the agent in charge from the night of the blast. Forsyth expressed condolences to the Drabinsky family, on behalf of the federal government. Then he said, You've all read the release sent out by our press office late last night, so you know that our agents conducted a raid yesterday evening of a compound in the northern California border town of Hickston. We took into custody several suspects we believe are responsible for the failed bombing attempt last week. The crowd erupted with shouted questions, but Forsyth held up a hand to silence them. Let me finish my statement and I'll answer all your questions. He paused as they settled again. Remember now, they're smearing a white militia group. The compound is owned 
by a small paramilitary organization who call themselves the CDB, or the Constitutional Defense Brigade, boasting about 25 members. As many of you may know, the leader of that group is on the federal indictment for tax evasion and wire fraud, and we believe the federal courthouse was the intended target of the bomber. Someone called out, what evidence do you have of their, of their involvement? Before the crowd could get fired up again, Forsyth once again raised his hand to keep them quiet. During the raid, we found a cache of firearms and several bricks of C4. We also found a file containing multiple photographs. But the real kicker, said the FBI spokesmouth, is a witness by the name of William Clegg, a resident of Hickston. The roar erupted before he had a chance to finish his sentence. Forsyth calmed them down again and said he'd take their questions one at a time, then pointed to a sultry blonde correspondent for Fox News. Have any of the suspects confessed, she said. They're still undergoing interrogation, Forsyth said, so I can't comment on that at the moment. Barring any legal restrictions, however, we'll be providing you with progress reports. He pointed to a reporter from CBS. From the very beginning, the reporter said there have been rumors that this attack could be related to Islamic fundamentalists. Are you saying this is strictly homegrown? Forsyth nodded. I won't deny that our first inclination was to look in that direction. But when Mr. Clegg came forward, we quickly found our out otherwise. This should probably serve as a lesson to us all not to prejudge such things. The world is full of dangerous people, and some of them are in our own backyard. Maybe so, Jack thought. But the evidence Forsyth had mentioned was circumstantial at best. As far as the firearms were concerned, if the feds were to ever raid the apartment Jacko near the Embarcadero, they'd find enough legal weapons to equip a Marine fire team, a collection he'd amassed over the last 20 years. Did that make him a terrorist? I'll, bring, I'll, I'll be back here to read more from Michael Savage's new blockbuster, Abuse of Power, right here on the Savage Nation. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I'm going to give you a treat right now in the Savage Nation. Let me read from the novel. It's very hard to do because I don't want to give away the plot. But I'll start on page 29. The, the hero is Jack Hatfield. Okay, he's a hardened war correspondent who rose to national prominence with his show Truth Tellers. But then he was smeared as a bigot and extremist by a radical leftist media watchdog group that was funded by a man, a shadowy billionaire named Soren. He loses his job. And he finds himself working in obscurity as a freelance news producer in San Francisco. One day, Hatfield is on a ride-along with the SFPD bomb squad when a seemingly routine carjacking turns deadly. And when the FBI urges Hatfield to stay out of it, he knows he's onto something big. And this event opens up a trail in my novel that leads Hatfield from San Francisco to Tel Aviv to London to Paris and back again as he works with a stunning Yemeni intelligence agent and a veteran Green Beret to expose a terrorist group known as the Hand of Allah and a plot within the highest corridors of U.S. governmental and U.K. power that will dwarf 9-11. In this lightning-paced first thriller spanning the globe from Europe and Israel to the back alleys of San Francisco's Chinatown, a reporter must make the choice between protecting his own life and investigating a terrorist cell whose goal is nothing less than total political control, no matter what the cost. So as, as, with that as a, a, a prologue, I'm going to go to page 29. Jack lived and worked on a 59-foot Grand Banks yacht in the Sausalito Marina, where as if reflecting the mood of the region, the wind and tides were making some pretty ugly chop. Still, he managed to snag a few hours sleep around dawn then watched as local and national law enforcement across the country were put on high alert and did everything they could to create the impression of ensuring the public safety. Notice the impression. 
The president made an Oval Office speech the following morning, reminding the country of his commitment to keeping the citizens of the United States secure and to raise his mortally wounded poll numbers. Sound familiar? While politicos from both sides of the aisle clogged the cable news networks and talk radio with enough hot air to float a horseshoe. That bug jacked the most. Despite the magnitude of what had happened and the devastating scope of what had accidentally been avoided, the news coverage had no real depth to it, no dimension, no insight. Only one thing resonated with him. At the center of the newscasts and speeches, the one piece that was never far from anyone's mouth was that while debris and shrapnel had caused several minor injuries, there had been only one fatality. Officer Thomas Drabinsky of the San Francisco Police Department Bomb Squad whose attempt to defuse the device had ended as he was en route to the target. There was one thing about him that no one mentioned, however, probably because it was too bizarre a thought for anyone to process. It was something he heard from the Marines in Iraq and Air Force personnel when fighter pilots went down. Tragic as the loss was, Drabinsky accomplished something that not a lot of people got to do. He died with his boots on and he would not be forgotten. Jack had seen enough forgotten soldiers in his time. He tried to rectify this when he was still on the air. He had used the last two minutes of his show to honor the fallen in Iraq and Afghanistan to put names and faces to these men and women he so admired. It was a reminder to his viewers that the enemy, he, that the enemy they fought wasn't some abstract notion, but a real living danger to the Western world. 9-11 was a decade past, and too many of us were becoming complacent, including and especially our so-called representatives in Washington. Jack had even started a fund raising money for the kids of fallen vets and for training guide dogs, by prison inmates no less, to aid those who had left arms, legs, eyes, and ears in the Mesopotamian war zones. And then he checks in the hospital to see what goes on. I'll go to page 31 from Abuse of Power, and then I'm going to go to your callers. This is a great one. This is his old friend, Tony Antonori, who was at X Green Beret, and they get into some pretty heavy action later on in the novel. Jack had known Tony Antonori for a little over a year, but the moment he'd met the guy, they'd felt an immediate kinship, and that was the kind of compliment he didn't hand out often. A former Green Beret paratrooper, Tony had done three tours in Vietnam, had cross-trained as both a medic and a rifleman, and was still active in the National Guard, teaching combat medicine to young recruits headed to Afghanistan. He was 69 and still teaching field medicine to the young recruits. Maybe that was part of what kept him young, having to shame the know-it-all out of kids less than half his age. The other part was staying in shape. He was solidly built, more muscle than fat, but at first glance you'd never know that he was career military. He looked like a fugitive from a Fellini movie. His thick head of shoe-polished black movie star hair framing a tanned, creased, bearded face and wise but playful eyes. He kept his lanky six-foot-four-inch frame in shape with a brisk morning flurry of push-ups, jumping jacks, and crunches every other day. Nothing high impact, just enough to get his heart rate up and help keep his cholesterol down. He dressed younger too, casual, mostly turtlenecks and corduroys, and he dyed his white hair black, his one concession to vanity. If he squinted, he could still find and sometimes talk to the 20-year-old who always wanted to be where he ended up. That sense of accomplishment was the real reward, though sometimes there was unexpected blowback. Tony had once told him the story of Beth Middleton and how he was attracted to her the instant he saw her. The woman's smile hooked him and her tight jeans held him. Her quick wit did its job too. In that sense, he was un not unlike most men. It was lust at first sight. Well, I won't read the rest of it for the fear that the Christians in the audience will start to blush. But let me put it to you this way. 
Although there are love-making scenes in my novel Abuse of Power, there's not one F word to be found. I never use the B word. There's no need to curse because love is not dirty. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.